0: God wants us to be free in our lives, free in our mind and our thoughts. He doesn't want our thoughts to in any way be uh, negative, but... I'm not even talking about positive, negative. He doesn't want us to have anything in our mind that causes us to worry, to be uptight, or to be anxious. In our spirit, God wants us to have a freedom and a lightness in our spirit. He doesn't want us to feel heavy and like every day is a burden and every day is a chore. And so God wants us to be free. I'm always mindful of what Jesus said in John chapter 10. He said that the devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy Jesus said, but I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. And that's what I want to talk to you tonight about how to have the abundant life and how to be as happy in your spirit and as joyful and as free as you can possibly be. Now, there are a lot of things that prevent us from having such freedom as that. But one of the things is what I would simply call a burden a burden, a problem, some circumstance in your life, some thought in your mind. Maybe it is a child or a grandchild. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a financial situation. could be a lot of different things, but it's something in your... Maybe it's a problem at work. It's a problem. It's something that you live with. You face it. It's a circumstance. And every day that thing, or maybe not every day, but a lot of days, that thing dominates your thinking, it dominates your heart, and it is a real burden and a real problem to you. So in Psalm 55, let's just begin there tonight, because the psalmist tells us what we're to do with these burdens, with these problems, with these situations in life that maybe we can't change, we can't do anything about. Psalm 55, listen to these words. Cast your burden on the Lord. Say that with me. Cast your burden on the Lord, and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And so here we're told what to do with these burdens, with these problems, with these situations in life. We are to cast them on the Lord. The idea is that that burden you have That thing in your mind is is like a big boulder. It's like a huge rock, so big that you could roll that thing. And God says, I've noticed every day that you are carrying that boulder around with you. It's like you've got it strapped around your waist and everywhere you go, it goes. Well, God says, instead of doing that, what you need to do is you need to roll that burden onto me. Because if you will roll it on to me, I will sustain you. And so the thought tonight is so very simple. It is taking the burdens in our lives and rolling them on to the Lord or giving them to the Lord. Now, there's an old song that many of you might remember that says, take your burdens to the Lord and what? And leave them there. Now, most of us are probably better at taking our burdens to the Lord than we are at leaving them there. But God said, what you need to do is you need to roll this big boulder onto me and you need to leave it there. You need to leave it in my hands. Now, if you were here last Wednesday night, you know that I talked extensively about God's hands. And we looked at that verse in Isaiah that says, he has the hollow, uh, he holds all the waters in the earth in the hollow of his hands. Just trillions of millions of gallons of water that God can just hold right there in the hollow of his hand and still have plenty of room left over. And so what I want to do in message tonight is to help all of us to understand why it is a wise thing to cast our burdens on the Lord, why it is a wise thing to put the problems and difficulties and concerns of our life into God's hands Because first of all, God's hands are plenty big enough to handle it, but as we go through this tonight, looking up several verses, I'm hoping that we will gain some insights tonight about God's hands that hopefully will be a blessing to you. So we'll just look up as many of these as we have time for tonight, and if you want to turn to these verses, you can. I'm probably going to turn to all of them and read them to you. But first of all, let's think about the fact that God's hands have the power to create. God's hands have the power to create. It's interesting, in the very first verse of the Bible, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that word create comes from a Hebrew word, bara, that literally means to create out of nothing. And so God took nothing and made everything. And so God is a creator. And you may be in a situation right now and you think, man, I need God to create something out of nothing in my life. In Psalm 95.5, the Bible says, the sea is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Just another verse that says God made it all. And so God is our creator. God has a way Of taking nothing, the nothingness in our lives, and making something. And so when you go to God, you just need to understand that you are taking that problem, that whatever, and you're putting it into the hands of the one person in the world who can take that and who can make something beautiful out of it. One of my favorite verses in Ecclesiastes says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And so God has a way of taking things that we give Him and making something absolutely beautiful out of it. So His hands have the power to create. But not only that, God's hands have the power to recreate You see, every time somebody gets saved, God has just created something. He's created a a new Christian, a new creature. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And so that's a beautiful thing. But sometimes after we've been saved, after we have been created... We need to be recreated because maybe there's a, you know, there's a mess or there's a problem and certainly we all sin even after we get saved. In Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8, listen to this verse. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are potter, and all we are the work of your hand. And so the Bible teaches us not only in Isaiah 64, but in Jeremiah 18, that in life, it's like God is the potter, and we're the clay, and we're on the potter's will, and God is molding us, and God is shaping us, and God is making us into the people that he wants us to be. And so he has the ability to recreate. In fact, in Jeremiah 18, where we read about the potter and the clay, God said to the prophet Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and watch what he's doing. And Jeremiah got there, and Jeremiah observed that the potter was making something. It said this way, he was making something at the wheel. Jeremiah couldn't tell what the potter was making, but he was making something. And then it says, Jeremiah noticed that 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 clay became marred in the hands of the potter. And so there was a defect. Something was wrong with that clay. Maybe it was too thick. Maybe it was lumpy. Maybe it was too thin. Something was not right with it. But then when you would, as you're reading that, you would expect it to say, and so God took that clay, threw it off, and grabbed another piece of clay and put it on the potter's wheel. Not what it says. It said, so God made that piece of clay into another vessel. God never gave up on working on that clay. And that says to us that we are the clay. God is the potter, and we are on His will, and sometimes in life, we can't tell what God is doing We can't tell what's happening in our lives. Sometimes we feel like we have become marred in the potter's hands. But the good news is he's molding us, he's shaping us into the people that he wants us to be. And so that's why you can always put things into God's hand. He has the power to recreate. But not only that, God's hands have the power to hold us up. He has strong hands. In Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, God said, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so God is telling us here about his hand and how strong he is and that we never need to fear because he has the ability when life knocks us down or when we feel like the circumstances of life blow us off track. That God has a way of holding us right there in the palm of his hand. And God says to us, don't be afraid, fear not, I am with you. And, you know, I used to try to memorize that verse and I would always get some of those verbs turned around at the end of that verse. Where God said, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I thought, how in the world can I memorize that? And so if you look at those three verbs, strengthen, help, and uphold, S-H-U. And it spells the word, shh. And something about that helped me to memorize that. Because sometimes in life, when circumstances are happening, we feel like we're being blown off course. But God just says, shh, fear not, I'm with you. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so, we can give those burdens to the Lord for that reason. Because He is plenty strong to hold us up in whatever we may go through in life. And then if you'll turn to Psalm 138, God's hands have the power to protect us. This is one of the greatest verses in the Bible, two two of the greatest verses. God is a protector. In Psalm 138, 7, the psalmist said, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. And so the psalmist said, that he had noticed in his life that there were times when there were enemies coming against him. And he said, God, when that happened, has a way of stretching out his hand against against the wrath of his enemies. And that was David who wrote this psalm. And we know that David had all kinds of enemies, people trying to take his life. And at the end of that seventh verse, he says, And your right hand will save me. And so God is a protector. And He always protects us. And then the other thing, and we see it in the next verse. Not only does God protect us from from danger and from enemies. God perfects those things in our lives that are not quite right. Psalm 138.8 is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. It says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Say that with me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me some translations read that the Lord will complete that which concerns me. And so God is a completer and God is a perfecter and anything in your life that you feel is not completed or is not quite perfected or is not quite right, if you'll just roll that onto God and give God time, He will perfect that and He will complete that. But not only that, God's hands have the power to promote us and to put us in the positions where He wants us to be. Now, and I want to show you several verses here but in 1 Peter chapter 5 and in verse number 6 Peter says this therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And so God says if you will humble yourselves I will exalt you. And there's another place in the Bible that says those who exalt themselves God will humble. But those who humble themselves God will exalt. And so maybe you're thinking at your work that you need a a better job, or maybe you need a promotion. Well, maybe you do. But the way to get that promotion is not to go to work every day and try to pull strings or manipulate circumstances. It's to be faithful in your present responsibilities. And then it is to uh, ask God if it would be His will to promote you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you "...in due time." And then back in Psalm 75, and I know I'm giving you lots of verses tonight, just kind of lay the foundation. But in Psalm 75, we have another insight about promotion, or how God exalts His people. And in verse number 6, it says, "...for exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one, and He exalts another." One of the verses, one of the translations says, for promotion. Now, think about this. Look what that says. For promotion or exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. Now, use your brain. If promotion doesn't come from the west or from the east or the west or the south, there's only one other direction, and that's the north. That's up, and that's where God lives, and that's what the Bible is saying here, it says, God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. And so we always want to look to God to promote us. And we want to look to God to put us in the positions that he wants us to be in. And we don't want to try to, 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 to trust other people. And you say, well, when God, when's God going to put me in the right position? Well, in Psalm 31 and verse 15 the psalmist said, my times are in your hand. So he's going to do that at the right time. So we want to give God time to put us in whatever kind of of position that he wants us to be. And that may not always mean a vocation or a job or a title. It may mean in some other way that God wants to exalt you or God wants to bless you or God wants to give you a, a... you know, an opportunity to to do whatever is in your heart to do that could honor and glorify him. So God's hands have the power to promote. And then not only that, God has the power to bless us. And I know that just almost goes without saying, but for the last several months I have been praying most every morning the prayer of Jabez. And you read about that in 1st Chronicles chapter number 4. And a man wrote a book about that back in the 90s and sold millions of copies. Is tremendous. I guess not many of us even had ever heard of Jabez, certainly not the prayer of Jabez until that book came out. But Jabez was a man in the Old Testament. He's an unknown man, and yet he prayed this prayer to God that is an absolutely beautiful prayer, and I've been praying it every morning for for a good while, you may want to start praying this every day. And here's how the prayer goes. God, I pray that you would bless me indeed. I pray that you would enlarge my territory. I pray pray that you would place your hands of anointing and protection. God, it's on me. Now, he just said, place your hands on me. And then I pray that you would keep me from evil. And so that prayer has four primary verbs, bless, enlarge, well, hands is not a verb, is it? But it's a, it's a word. It's a key word. Place your hands upon me and keep me from evil. All this time, I've been thinking hands was a verb. Now I'm going to mess myself up when I do this. But those are the key words. Bless, enlarge, hand, keep. Say that with me. Bless, enlarge, hand, keep. Say it by yourselves. Unless you have, unless you have a better mind than I do. You're going to have to have some kind of mnemonic trick like that to learn Scripture, to learn anything. I know when I go to the grocery store, I have a thing in my head, you know, ha- 10 letters, C, B, H, J. And uh, sometimes I buy the wrong, I mean, I forget what it represented. But you've got to have some kind of thing. And even in, with Scripture, you've got to have some way to learn these verses. And something like that will help. And so you get up in the morning, you can't remember that prayer. Just remember B. Now, I can't remember what to say, E-H-K, B-E-H-K, and you can just go to your quiet time and say, God, today, this is what I prayed this morning, God, I ask you to bless me today, enlarge my territory, give me more opportunities to serve you, and here's how I say it, God, place your hands of anointing and protection and guidance on my life, and God, keep me from evil, help me not to sin. It's a tremendous prayer, and so we know that God is capable, (laughs) not only capable, God wants to bless us. In fact, I was reading this morning in my Bible, and Matthew 19 was my Bible reading for today, and I read this verse about Jesus. It says uh, in 1914, Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven, and he laid his hands on them and departed from there. And so, what did Jesus do? He blessed the children. And so, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. But then God's hands, some of you here tonight, you say, well, what I need, what my situation is, is physical in nature. And I need for God to work a healing miracle in my life. Well, go to Luke chapter 4, because God's hands have the power to heal. In fact, I've been amazed lately, as I've just been reading through Matthew's gospel, how many times it says, Jesus placed his hands on them and healed them. And I know we know that God certainly has the power to heal, and we believe he can heal. And not everybody is healed on earth. I do understand that. Our ultimate healing is in heaven. But many times, God heals people on, here on earth. And in Luke chapter 4 and in verse 40, look at this verse. It says, when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them? Think about that. Jesus laid his hands on every one of them and healed them and in Matthew chapter nine there's a verse that basically says the same thing, and in verse number thirty five It says, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And so we know that God has the power to heal. And so tonight, if you're in need of healing, or if someone you love is in need of healing, what I would encourage you to do, that's your burden, that's your worry, that's your life situation, that's your problem. I would take that. And I would roll that right on to God, and I would say, God, I know you can, and I'm asking you to heal me, either immediately, gradually, instantaneously, through medication, through surgery or treatment or whatever you uh, deem is the best, but I'm asking you to heal my body because God's hands have the power to heal. And then in John chapter 10... We know that God's hands have the power to save, but the point I want to make here is not only do they have the power to save, God's hands have the power to keep us saved. In John chapter 10 in verse 28, Jesus said, "...I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand." And then he said, I and my Father are one. And so Jesus is saying, when a person gets saved, that person is placed. When you were saved, you were placed in Jesus' hand. And then, as soon as that happened, God the Father placed his hand over Jesus' hand. And then the Scripture says that, I'm just running out of hands to illustrate how wonderful this is, but we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has you in His hand. God the Father has you in His hand. And the Holy Spirit has sealed you. And Jesus said no one can snatch you out of His hand. And that says to us that we can never lose our salvation. Now most of us who have grown up going to a Baptist church, we have been taught that all of our lives. Once saved, always saved. But we have people who come to our services who have not been taught that. They were raised in denominations that taught you could lose your salvation, and you could be saved today, and you could be lost tomorrow. But Jesus said just the opposite. He said, you're in my hand, you're in the Father's hand, and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so His hands have the power to save us and to keep us saved. And if I just had one verse in all the Bible that helped me to understand that there is the Bible does teach the eternal security of the believer... It would be John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, now watch this, should not perish but have, what's the next two words? Everlasting, Everlasting life. The next time you're talking to somebody who says, well, I believe you can lose your salvation. And they have some verse over in Hebrews inter- interpreted out of context about falling away. And they say, see here it says you falling away. There are passages in Hebrew that talks about, in Hebrew is talking about falling away, but those passages are not teaching that you can lose your salvation. It's talking about you're falling away from the way of grace. You're, you got saved by grace, and now you're trying to maintain your salvation by keeping the law, and you're falling from grace, but it, you can't fall far because grace won't let you go. You're in Jesus' hand, the Father's hand, and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So falling from grace in Hebrews does not mean that you can lose your salvation. It means that a person who's doing that has been saved, but now they've gotten away from grace and they're trying to live the life, the Christian life, through legalism and ritualism and all those things. And that, that you can't leave, they've fallen away from the way of grace. They've not lost their salvation. John 3:16 says that salvation Jesus said it's everlasting life. Think about this, use your brain. If you could lose your salvation, what did you just lose? You just lost everlasting life. Now, if you can lose everlasting life, it's not everlasting. It's temporary. And so that's why I'm saying John three sixteen is the clearest verse in the Bible about the eternal security of the believer. It is everlasting life. You can't lose a gift that, by definition, is everlasting in nature. And then God's hands have the power to strengthen our faith. And in John's Gospel, that's where Jesus having that conversation with Thomas after um, Jesus had been risen from the dead and. Thomas did not believe that Jesus was alive. In fact, Thomas said in verse 25 of John 20, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then Jesus said to Thomas, reach your finger and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving but believing. And so the way that Jesus used his hands with Thomas was to say, look at my hands. Here are the nail prints. That's what you wanted to see. Here they are. And he saw those, and then Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, you see because you have, uh, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not bes- seen and still believe. And so God's hands have the ability to do all of those things and so much more if we would just roll them into his hands. Now, you still listen? and Say amen. I know that was a tremendous amount of just Bible But I hope it was a blessing seeing those verses. Now, here's the question. When you have a burden or a problem or a situation in life, and you say, well, John, I've done that. I've rolled it off onto God, and why am I still worrying about it? Or maybe you ask it this way. After I roll something off onto God, after I give God my burden, after I cast this thing on the Lord... How can I know that I have really trusted God with that thing? Now, you think about that. I think there are two answers to that question. First of all, you know that you have truly rolled that burden onto the Lord. Or here's how you can know that you have truly rolled that burden onto the Lord. Number one, gradually, you begin to worry less and less about it. Now, notice I said gradually, because it may not be immediate. It may may be, but it may be gradually. And the second way is, eventually, if you have truly rolled that burden onto the Lord, and you're truly trusting Him, eventually, you stop thinking about it. In other words, you've given it to God. What I'm saying is, one of the ways, I'm just, I've just taken a half hour and explained, every, or not everything, but so many of the sh- things about God's hands, how whatever it is we're facing, He can handle it. And yet, the only way that we can know for sure that we have given that to the Lord is to ask ourselves this question. Am I worrying less about it? Am I thinking less about it? Because if I'm still worrying about it, and I'm still thinking about it, then I'm not sure that I've really fully rolled it on to the Lord. I may have rolled it on, but I've taken it back. It's kind of like this, the best illustration I can think of. When you go to the bank to deposit money, what do you do? You fill out the deposit slip, you sign the back of the check, or you give them the cash, whatever it is, you give it to the teller, they type in your numbers, they type in the amount of the money, they give you a deposit receipt, you have given them your money. They have given you a receipt, and what do you do? You walk out the door, and you don't think anything more about it. Or maybe you go to the mailbox. I know a few weeks ago, my homeowner's insurance, was uh, it came due. And for what I paid for my homeowner's, my house should be three times as big as what it is right now. <laughs> but I wrote the check, and I went to the post office, and I got in line to, and I, mail, I put the check in the mailbox and I said, God, thank you. I have a house. You know, before we complain too much about how high everything is, we ought to be thankful we have a house to pay insurance on. And, and before we complain about how expensive it is, we ought to be thankful we got enough money in the bank to write that check. So I didn't, I just said, God, thank you. I mean, I do think it was too high, but I said, God, thank, you. I said, God, I'm going to shop it next year. I think I overpaid this year, but I said, God, thank you. And then I dropped it in there. And I didn't think anything else about it. Beautiful example. Giving the bill to the United States Postal Service. Trusting them with it. I mean, we do this every single day. The bank, the restaurant. You go to a restaurant. You order a meal. You're trusting cooks you've never seen. (laughs) To run a kitchen that you've not inspected to cook that food at the right temperature, to bring it out to you, and for it to be right, and we don't even think about it. You go to the pharmacy, and you give them a prescription written by a doctor in handwriting that you nor the pharmacist can understand. And they fill that prescription with medicines that you don't have any idea what it is. And you go home and you take that. Why? You trust the pharmacist, Who? you trust the doctor, See, that's how basically we live our lives. Today, you came to this service tonight. Probably, I have many in here here. You came to the service tonight. You said, well, it's Wednesday night. They have church at First Baptist on Wednesday night. I'm going. You just came in here. You didn't think anything about it. You sat down in that seat. You didn't think, I wonder is this pew strong enough to hold me up. You didn't think anything about that. You just sat down and you trusted that pew to hold you up. In a moment, you're going to get in your car. You're going to drive home. You're going to trust that car to get you home. You're going to trust everybody else on the road not to come into your lane. I mean, we, we, we exhibit trust every day on so many levels without thinking about it. And yet with God, whose hands are able to do whatever it is we need them to do according to His will... We roll that burden onto him, and we say, well, you know what? I'm still worrying about it, or I'm still thinking about it. I Listen, when I mailed that homeowner's insurance, when I dropped that in the mail, I didn't think anything about it. In fact, one day this week, I got an email, and it was a receipt saying, we received your payment. Ha, ha, ha. We can't believe anybody would pay that much. You fell for it. No, it didn't say that. But it said, we received your payment on this particular date. Thank you for sending the money. I hadn't even thought about it until I saw the receipt. I just trusted him. You say, but John, when we go to the bank, at least we get a deposit slip. When we pay our bills, at least we get a receipt If I only had a deposit slip from God, if I only had a receipt from God, if I only had some communication back from God where God said, I have heard it, I have received this situation, it is in my hands, and the situation is taken care of. And friend, what I'm saying to you tonight is, this is God's confirmation receipt right here. And in the verse we started out with, God said, the psalmist said, cast your burden on the Lord, and He shall sustain you. It didn't say He might sustain you. didn't say He will sustain some of you. No. Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. And so I want to give you a challenge tonight. And the challenge is this. Do with God what you do with the post office, the bank, the pharmacist, the restaurant, and everything else in life, trust Him. And just say, you know, whatever that burden is, you put it in God's hands, and you say, you know what? It's in God's hands. Now, sometimes, and I'm running out of time, and I'm not going to drag this out. I'm going to stop tonight on time. But, but sometimes, we're praying about something, and we're supposed to keep on and keep on and, you know, asking, keep on asking, asking, keep on asking. But there are certain things in life that we're not supposed to ask and keep on asking. One of them, the most obvious, is salvation. You don't don't keep asking to get saved every day. Here's the question. How long should you pray about a burden? Here's the answer. Until either the burden is solved, the problem is solved, the burden is lifted, or until God speaks to you And gives you some further word of instruction. For example, take the Apostle Paul. He had a burden. He had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times that God would remove that thorn from his life. And after the third time, Jesus said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. But after Jesus said that, Paul didn't pray the fourth time. Now, God, please remove this thorn. No. Because Jesus had already said to him, my grace is sufficient. You pray about something, you pray about a problem, either until the problem is solved, until you know the prayer is answered. That's why with salvation, you just pray it, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You pray it and the prayer is answered. You don't have to pray that anymore. Sometime God may say to you, I'm not going to answer that prayer the way you've prayed it. That's what he said to Paul. And so Paul prayed a different prayer. Sometimes though, and I heard Adrian Rogers say this many years ago, Sometimes in your prayer life, you're praying about a burden or a problem. God may speak to your heart and God may say to you, I've heard your prayer. That situation is in my hands and you don't need to pray about it anymore. And God has only done that to me, I think, one time, on, maybe, maybe, well, maybe twice. But may, one time, I was... Well, I won't even go in. But I was praying about something. And it was like God said to me, I've heard your prayer. You can keep praying about that if you want to. It'd be fine. But I'm re- it was kind of like I felt like at least then that God said, I'm releasing you from praying about this. You don't have to pray about that anymore. So sometimes when you're praying about something, God will just say, that's enough. You don't have to keep praying about it. But what I'm saying to you is, however God answers your prayer, once you roll that burden off onto the Lord, leave it there. Go out the door. Live your life. Trust God with it. And watch and see if in a few days you think, well, you know, I hadn't worried about that or thought about that in a day and a half. I hadn't worried about that and thought about that in four days. That hadn't troubled me in a week. Two weeks. And then it will be a month. And then it will be six months. You think, you know what? I used to worry about that all the time. I hadn't worried about that in a year. And what that is saying to you is that not only have you cast your burden on the Lord, put it in His strong hands, but that you are trusting Him with it. Amen? Father, help us to do that. There's no reason in the world not to trust you. And God, I pray for people in the room tonight who need to get some burden off of them that tonight they would do that simply by putting it in your hands, trusting you with it, saying amen to that prayer, and walking out the back door of this church tonight and saying, that's in God's hands. It's in God's hands. That wouldn't be a bad little motto for us to leave this sermon with tonight and this service with tonight. It's in God's hands. Heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. What do you need to put in God's hands? I may have given way too much information tonight. But at least we got a lot of good verses out of it. But as I was walking through that message tonight, is there anything in your life that you need to put in God's hands? If so, right now, do that. Give it to Him. Give it to Him in prayer. And then, now that you've done that, now just say this. God, it's in your hands. My healing is in your hands. My future is in your hands. My job is in your hands. My mess is in your hands. My future is in your hands. My family, they're in your hands. My finances, that's in your hands. My salvation, that's in your hands. It's all in your, everything's in your hands. My enemies, they're in your hands. Threats against me, that's in your hands. Tonight, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, if you could just get these words, it's in God's hands. Those four words. Say that with me. Out loud. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Say that with me. It's in God's hands. Say it again. It's in God's hands. Say it again. So tonight, those of you who are married, you go home and you came in here, you were worried talking about something, you walk out tonight and one of the spouses starts that up again. The other one might want to just say, now, hey, it's in God's hands. Or maybe a friend. Sometimes we need somebody to hold us accountable. That's why a spouse is so wonderful or a friend, because they can hold us accountable. They can help us to focus on God. It's in God's hands. Father, I thank you that when it's there, there's no safer place that it could be. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said,